You know, there's been a lot of movies that have come out recently on heaven and people who have gone to heaven and spoke to Jesus. And some of them are compelling. What is heaven really like? What does the Bible say about heaven? What does the Bible teach about it? And what might it look like? What are the colors? Who's there? What's going on? An open door into heaven today on Walk in Truth. Welcome to the Walk in Truth weekend program. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, you can learn more about Pastor Michael, the online store, and podcast when you visit walkintruth.com. Now, here's part two of Revelation 4, A Door Open in Heaven. When you hear people talk about simile, uh, simile is a comparison in like. So if someone says, it was like this, it was like a rainbow in the sky, and they're describing something else, they're using a simile. And the best John can do, because God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in what? In spirit and in truth. He, he's describing God in a brilliant color of gemstones, and he starts with a jasper stone. One writer says, although God was upon the throne, he is spirit, and as such, he is holy without human form. And yet, almost contradictorily, he did not, uh, he did not physically see him, but the colors of jasper, usually red, yellow, or brown in color, and, and uh, it's neither transparent or nor translucent, says one writer, and sardis, which is blood red, according to the JB, has a diamond and a ruby. Carnelian is reddish-brown stone that can be clear to semi-translucent, which were emanating from the throne, preventing John from seeing any form or substance. But he sees these incredible colors, reddish-brown, perhaps some yellow. And when you think about God showing up, for example, on Mount Sinai, when the children of Israel saw God from a distance, they said, the description is that God is, there was fire all around him. In fact, Moses walked into fire. I thought only firemen did, did that, right? Moses walked into the fire and the people said, uh, you go first, Moses. Uh, just tell us what he said. This is the power of God. In fact, Hebrews 12, 29 says, our God is a consuming fire. Man, he is powerful, majestic. He reigns in majesty and glory. And so these are flashing facets of the glory of God, hues of yellow, red, and brown. And yet, around the throne is a, uh, an emerald rainbow in appearance. A rainbow around the throne like an emerald in appearance. Now, if I asked you right now, tell me in the Bible, what does a rainbow represent? What would you guys say? It takes you back to the promise of the Noahic Covenant. And God said, I am not going to destroy the world with a flood of water again, and I have put my bow in the sky. Now, I understand that, you know, when we see a rainbow in the sky, it's pretty cool, right? And, and we're in awe of it after a rain. We see the colors, and they're incredible. But pilots tell us that rainbows are actually a full circle from up above, and this rainbow is encircling the throne of God. It's like, uh, again, John is moving out from the throne. So you think about it. Think about the fire 
the hues of red and yellow and brown that probably reflect the justice and judgment of God that's going to be all through the book of Revelation. God is just and holy and true. And he will be just and righteous in his judgment. And yet the emerald rainbow at the same time reflects grace and a covenant-keeping God. And I think you have the perfect balance of justice and grace at the throne of God. In fact, the theological question that a lot of people get is, how do you balance God's justice with God's grace? Have you ever, ever been faced with that question? Well, here's how you answer it. God is perfectly just and perfectly loving. People often want to focus on one attribute of God or one part of his nature. So they say, God is love, so God's not going to do any kind of judgment on anybody. Wait a minute. God is love, but in this chapter, do you know what the angels sing, sing about God? They don't say love, love, love. You know what they say? Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is holy in his nature. He is loving in his nature, but he is also just in his nature. And the two do not contradict each other. In fact, God satisfies his wrath in pouring it upon Jesus at the cross. If you are in Christ, God's wrath has been appeased. Amen? God has uh, propitiated or your sin uh, debt has been paid in full. God's wrath has been satisfied in Jesus taking the judgment at the cross. But for those who have not come to Christ, his wrath is not satisfied in their case because they have not received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So this is how you balance the two. And the two facets are seen in the colors around the throne of God. Uh, in Isaiah 54, as Isaiah prophesies the Lord rebuilding Jerusalem, he says these words, verses 11 through 13. He says, O afflicted ones, storm-tossed and not comforted, behold, I will set your stones in antimony, your foundations I will lay in sapphires. Moreover, I will make your battlements of rubies and your gates of crystal, your entire wall of precious stones. And all your sons will be taught of the Lord, and the well-being of your sons will be great. God is portrayed or like the brilliance of light reflected from precious stones. The psalmist writes of God, the one who covered himself in light, in light as with a garment. Psalm 104, verse 2. In 1 Timothy 6, 16, Paul says, the Lord dwells in unapproachable light. God is light, 1 John 1 says, and in him there is no darkness at all. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not remain in darkness. He will have the light of life. Jesus, that light came into the world, and if you follow him, he will push away the darkness and bring light into your life. Amen? Formerly you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5 tells us, walk as children of light. That's who you are. You're not of the darkness, you are of the light. And so now John is telling us that this is the best way, at least in this case, to describe who God is. Refracted light, beautiful colors of jewels that emanate in these Descriptions like a jasper stone, like a sardis in appearance, like a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance, incredible colors. Just, just pause for a second. Just think about it. This is your God. 
This is the throne room, of, throne room of God, and one day you are going to be there. What's it going to be like to look upon God, to look upon his brilliance and his majesty and his glory? How much time do you and I spend just musing on the fact that this is the best way a human can describe God? Jewel colors in their most brilliant light, rainbows and, and fire and this kind of thing. And around the throne were 24 thrones. And upon the thrones, I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white garments and golden crowns were on their heads. Now, as he moves out from the throne, the throne and the one sitting on the throne and uh, the rainbow and the colors, now he's moving out in concentric circles, as I mentioned earlier, and notice around the throne, look at verse four, around God's throne, 24 more thrones are there. And upon those thrones, I saw, says John, 24 elders sitting clothed in white garments and golden crowns were on their heads. Now, there's been a lot of different conjecture about the 24 elders. Uh, some people believe it's the church or human representatives of the church. Uh, from the way that they are described, says one writer, we might conclude that they are human who have already received what Jesus promised to the churches in Revelation 2 and 3. Take a look for a second. Revelation 3.20 says, he who over, 3.21, he who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne. There's 24 thrones there. There's an interesting, at least, connection there. Look at Revelation 3, 5 for a second. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in what? In white garments. And then look at Revelation 2, 10 for a second. It says, do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison, 2, 10, that you may be tested. You will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you what? I will give you the crown of life. In these three passages, we see a throne mentioned. We see white garments mentioned, and we see crowns mentioned. And so there's some interesting connections there. The word for elder here is presbyteros, and is where we get the word Presbyterian. We hear of elders in the church. An elder usually depicts someone who's more mature in age and more mature in terms of maturity in their faith. You could actually translate the word presbyteros as ancient. And I'd never say that to one of our elders that are walking around because they won't appreciate it. Man, that dude is ancient. All right, don't do that. There's a story about a little girl who came home from her Presbyterian Sunday school class where her mother asked her what they talked about. She said, we talked about heaven, mommy. The little girl uh, replied, and she said, well, what did they say about it, her mother asked. Well, the teacher said that there were only 24 Presbyterians there in heaven. That's what we learned today. There's only 24. Well, that's, that's not the right interpretation, but this word can be used, this word elder, in terms of age or rank or position. You could say it this way, there were 24 ancients. Isaiah 24, 23 says these words. The moon will be abashed and the sun ashamed. For the Lord of hosts will reign on Mount Zion and in Jerusalem. And his glory will be before his elders. That's Isaiah 24, 23. There are some that see them, these 24 elders, as the heavenly counterpart of the 24 priestly or 24 Levit Levitical orders. This is uh, recorded in 1 Chronicles 24, 4. 
in 1 Chronicles 25, 9 through 13. You've been listening to the Walk in Truth weekend program. Pastor Michael Lance would like to invite your kids to Vacation Bible School at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in Corona. This year, kids learn about the Israelites' time in Egypt. They'll explore God's goodness and celebrate a ferocious faith that powers them through this wild life. Each day at VBS, kids travel through rotations with crafts, music, and games, all for the purpose of teaching kids stories from the Bible and immersing them in new adventures. This week-long Vacation Bible School will begin July 8th, and it's only $10 per child. Register your little explorer today by visiting livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. There are some that see them, these 24 elders, as the heavenly counterpart of the 24 priestly or 24 Levitical orders. This is uh, recorded in 1 Chronicles 24.4 and 1 Chronicles 25.9-13. As I've read a lot of different views on the 24 elders, uh, they say there's about 13 different views on who they are. Some people say they're angels. Some people say they're humans. Um, one writer says they're most likely angelic beings who attend to God's majesty. Some argue that the number 24 is to see, be seen as the sum of the 12 patriarchs of the Old Testament and the 12 apostles of the New Testament. We can see this, for example, the names of the 12 tribes are on the gates of the New Jerusalem, and the names of the 12 apostles are found on its foundation stones. That's Revelation 21, 12, and 14. Take the 12 sons of Jacob with the 12 apostles of the Lamb, and you get 24. Is that who they are? Is it the 12 patriarchs who are around the throne of God, the chosen, the, the line of Israel, if you will, and the 12 apostles of the Lamb? Who's the 12th, you argue? Is it Matthias or Paul? Does it really matter? <laughs> but we know there was 12 apostles and 12 patriarchs. So could it be that that's what they represent? Additionally, one writer says their song of praise, Revelation 5, 9, and 10, definitely sets them apart from those who were purchased by the blood of Christ. Take a look. Revelation 5, 9, and 10 says, and they sang a new song. The elders are mentioned in verse 8 of Revelation 5. 24 elders fell, fell down before the lamb, having each one a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. They sang a new song, Worthy art thou to take the book and to break its seals, for thou wast slain and did purchase for God with thy blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And thou hast made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. And so some writers say, in their song, they differentiate themselves from those purchased. And so this means that they may not be the church. Again, I don't think that this is something that has to be considered as essential, but it is interesting to look at the different views of the 24 elders. And so notice from the throne, Revelation 4, 5, we see something else. From this throne proceed flashes, flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder, and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. So from the throne, as John describes colors and majesty and emerald green and reddish brown and hues of yellow and, 
and translucent colors and glory and 24 thrones and 24 elders. Now he describes from the throne flashes of lightning and peals of thunder. Whenever you see lightning and thunder in the Bible, you see signs of judgment. And these are uh, representative of the judicial power of God. When God comes down on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, there are there's thunder and lightning, and it, it speaks of the majesty and the power and the judgment of Almighty God. In fact, right after that scene, he gives the Ten Commandments. And so God is holy. His law comes from him. These descriptions are symbolic of the awesome power of God. Holy is his name. John saw a precursor to the firestorm of divine fury about to burst upon the sinful world. The sinful world, unrepentant world, is going to face this holy one who is going to come to judge the world in righteousness. Take a peek at a few verses. Revelation 8, look at verse 5. Revelation 8, 5, as the judgment of God begins to fall on the world, the angel, Revelation 8, 5, took the censer, he filled it with fire, the fire of the altar, he threw it to the earth, and there followed peals of thunder, sounds and flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Look at Revelation 16, 17. Revelation 16, 17. The seventh angel poured out his bowl upon the air, Revelation 16, 17, and a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, it is done. And there were, Revelation 16, 18, flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder. There was a great earthquake, such as there had not been since man came to be upon the earth. So great an earthquake was it, and so mighty." Again and again and again, as you look at the Bible, you see thunder and lightning representative of God's judgment. And so judgment is about to fall upon the world, and John is getting a little sneak peek, if you will, of the judgment of God about to fall. In Revelation 4, 5, look back there for a second, you're going to see seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are described as the seven spirits of God. I think the best way to see this is this is representative of the Holy Spirit in all his perfect fullness. One writer says this description is a visible representation of the Holy Spirit. After all, how would you depict the Holy Spirit unless you did it in some sort of symbolic, visible representation? Everybody with me? The Holy Spirit is spirit. So the depiction of him with the uh, seven uh, torches here or seven lamps of fire is a symbolic look at the spirit. So don't get caught up in the physicality of it. It's a symbolic way of describing uh, who he is. Take a look at Revelation 1 and look at this Trinitarian formula, which I think backs up this view. Revelation 1, look at verse 4. John to the seven churches that are in Asia Grace to you and peace from him who was or who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne, so him who is and who was and who is to come, most would agree that's the Father. From the seven spirits who are before his throne, most would agree that's the Holy Spirit. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Well, that's evident. That's Jesus Christ. You see the Trinitarian formula here? Father, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. 
depicted in symbolic language, at least in some cases here with uh, the language in the book of Revelation. And so we have, I think, a repetition in Revelation 4, verse 5, that this is the Holy Spirit. Think of it this way. The Holy Spirit that came to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, John 16, verses 8 through 11, is what you can look at, now is pictured with these powerful flames before the throne or as part of the throne room scene as judgment is about to fall on the earth. Think of it this way. Have you ever thought about the fact that the Holy Spirit will be involved in the judgment of God? We think about the Holy Spirit as our comforter, and he is. He seals us for the day of redemption, and he does. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, but he is still the third person of the Holy Trinity. And when God's wrath goes out into an unrepentant world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit will be involved in the judgment, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in creation, just as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in the resurrection. They will be involved, the one God in three persons, and we'll talk more about this if you come to 633, (laughs) will be involved in the judgment of the world. How sad. Acts 7.51, Stephen said to the religious leaders, you always resist the Holy Spirit. Do you know people can resist the Holy Spirit? People are being wooed to God 24-7. In fact, just by the physical creation alone, the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies proclaim the work of his hands, day after day they pour forth speech, night after night they display knowledge. Think of this language. Day after day, night after night, day and night, human beings are bombarded by the knowledge of God just by the creation alone. By the physical creation, Romans 1 verse 20 says, man is without excuse because the invisible attributes of God are clearly seen by what has been made. And all God's people said, amen. I don't know, is there really a God? Just look around. It is not hard to see his fingerprints are everywhere. Well, have you ever had a moment where just a strong truth hit you right between the eyes and you're like, man, that hurts, but you know, it's kind of good. Well, I have a strong suspicion that if you still can't see God in creation, it's not your physical eyes, it's your heart. You say, well, Pastor Michael, why would you say something like that? Because Jeremiah says our heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can understand it? We have a sick heart, and I'm talking about now your spiritual soul, if you will, the internal part of you. We have something wrong, something that Romans 1 says suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. We push it away, we push it down, we turn up the volume of other stuff in our lives because we just don't want to hear it, because maybe it's inconvenient for how we're living. And that may be hard to hear, but it's the truth. It's the truth that confronted me many decades ago when I know I knew that I needed Jesus. I sensed that emptiness. I knew that what I was doing was not satisfying, and I knew I needed a new heart, so to speak. 
And you know, Jesus is so faithful to forgive and give you a new heart and a new start. That can happen for you today, my friend. Reach out to Jesus. It doesn't matter what you've hung your hat on in the past, how many denials, how many rejections. He's been pursuing you. You're listening at this moment. He wants you to know him. He loves you. That's why he came to seek and to save the lost like you and me. And he'll save you right now if you open your heart to him. Jesus, be my Lord. Just pray it. Be my Savior. I believe. I can see the creation. It's undeniable. It's leading me to you. Make me your child. Confess him, my brother, my sister, my friend. Just just something like this. Lord, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for rising from the dead. I put my trust in you. I repent of my unbelief and my rejection, and I put my faith and trust in you. Save me. Hey, if you made that decision, we'd like to know. You can reach out to us when you go to walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Now, remember, friend, you're always invited to come to church at Living Truth Christian Fellowship in the city of Corona, where I serve as senior pastor. This morning is Family Sunday, services at 9 and 11.15 today. Come on out. We'd love to have you. It's 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona, right off the 91 Freeway and Lincoln Avenue, 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. If it's been a while, if you've been hungering to get back into fellowship, if this has piqued your interest to get back, you need to be in fellowship. If you're a Christian, then come together, worship the Lord corporately, join us. We'd love to have you. Find out all the information when you download the Living Truth app in your app store. Now, please make sure that you tune in on Monday for the conclusion of Revelation chapter 4, A Door Open in Heaven. What an incredible reality, heaven. We're going to talk more about that on Monday. Have a great weekend, and may the Lord richly bless you. We'll catch you then. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.